Okay, we are back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin and Ailish. It is the stretch drive of the NHL season. Although, it's still, it's closer now. But the NBA playoffs starting before the Stanley Cup playoffs again this year. We're still getting on track from the COVID disruptions. But we're almost there. We got July first again this year. Yeah, that that's the you, July first needs to be always July first. Isn't the NHL normally like a week or a half week ahead? Mm-hmm. I'm normally used to that. I think the NBA playoffs are starting two days before the Stanley Cup playoffs, but we are pretty close. The condensed schedules were almost through. Uh, and everything will be normal next year, I suppose. But to discuss the final few games, the preparation for the playoffs, of course, the playoffs, we got our guy, Luke Fox, NHL reporter at Sportsnet. Good morning, Luke. Good morning. So, How are you? Uh, we're pretty good. We're pretty good. Uh, ready for some more meaningful games. I'm a little surprised. I was on vacation last week, come back, and I'm watching Rat and Zahorna, and I was like, what is going on here? It was a little jarring, I got to be honest. Uh, but I think some real things have been installed in the lineup, and there are a few more pieces that have to be put in place. I guess beginning with Ryan O'Reilly. Do we have an update on what's going on with Ryan O'Reilly, if we'll see him tonight, if we'll see him this week, uh, where he's at in his short road, I guess, to recovery? Yeah, I mean, the, the plan is to see him this week, and... Look, if if the games mattered, if this was the playoffs, he would have played last week. They're just being extra cautious with his finger, giving it a little more time to heal. Uh, it, I, I can't remember a season like this where there's literally, literally been like so many games that don't mean anything, uh, you know, to, to ra- round out the season. Like being able to sit three of your regulars um, when there's seven games left on Sunday, like Jake McCabe, Mark Giordano, Mitch Marner, I'm, and I'm sure this is a pattern that's going to continue. Um, the Leafs have, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a blessing or a curse to have so much extra time um, to rest up and, and do some load management in hockey, which used to be such a, a foreign concept. But, you know, part of that is good, I guess, for Ryan O'Reilly and the fact that they weren't rushing him back at all. Um, he should be back this week. Whether that's tonight, we don't know. We're, we'll, they had yesterday off, so we'll find out at the morning skate, I imagine. But rest assured, the good news is that uh, if these were meaningful games, he'd be ready to go. And he's he's been practicing a ton. Like he he looks up to speed. He looks like a guy that's ready. Do you get a sense of where he belongs in the lineup, what they're preparing to do? I mean, we've seen a lot of different lineups. We've seen a lot of lineup juggling. We've seen Michael Bunton slide up and down. We've seen Callie Yarncroke maybe solidify himself on a line with Austin Matthews. I mean, we've also seen Matthews play without Mitch Marner or William Nylander or John Tavares, which may make it seem like Ryan O'Reilly could maybe play on a third line with William Nylander. Like, where, where, do, you see, where do you see Ryan O'Reilly's place in the lineup and who do you see playing with him? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, um, especially because the second line hasn't been going. Like Austin Matthews seems to have gotten back into gear, and Mitch Marner has been consistent all season long. Uh, the trouble is John, the John Tavares line. Five, like he he scored another power play goal on Sunday. Is he's top five in power play production, but his even strength production is is falling off a cliff. And Sheldon Keefe was asked about that. And his response basically was, this is a guy who goes to the net, goes to the scoring areas, but he depends a lot on his wingers 
to get him the puck and get him the puck in those areas so that he can score. And he said, you know, part of it is William Nylander's game has fallen off a little bit. And I think over the weekend we saw some flashes from Nylander that he's starting to get a little bit on track. He scored in Ottawa. He had some dangerous rushes against Detroit. Uh, but, you know, I believe that they probably will put Ryan O'Reilly in the second line at least to get that some some threatening, uh, you know, shifts from the second, second line because it hasn't really been on par. And you wonder how much of that is, are the players feeling what some of the fans are feeling, which is, you know, a little bit of lack of urgency because they're pretty much locked in, in their playoff position. But Sheldon Keith is trying to, you know, tinker with his lines and press buttons and keep guys on task because he doesn't want them to kind of go into the playoffs all sleepy. So I, I think that he has the this great option of use of spreading his centers and using Ryan O'Reilly as a third line center. And I wonder if that's more of something that he does on the road when he doesn't have the matchups that he can get. But I, I like I, to start, I like, and especially at home, I like Ryan O'Reilly being part of a second line with Tavares on the wing. Um, maybe that'll spark Tavares. Yeah, it feels like Sheldon Keefe has two options. It's Ryan O'Reilly with Tavares or it's Mitch Marner with with, with Tavares, rather. Uh, and if it's Mitch Marner with Tavares, then it means that someone else has to play with Austin Matthews. And we've seen some experimentation with bunting and yarn croak. Does it make sense in your mind at all to go kind of the Sidney Crosby route where you're putting just serviceable bodies around a superstar and, and letting him... Uh, you know, tilt the ice, not by himself, but tilt the ice as the pure focal point of a line. I'd be shocked to see that, quite quite honestly. Um, I don't think we're going to see a Yarncroc matthews bunting line in the playoffs. I could be wrong. Uh, and I think he can drive a line like that. And Yarncroc has is, is really kind of come into his own like the last... I don't know, three weeks to a month. Uh, you know, he's he he's looked dangerous and he he seems very engaged playing with with Austin Matthews. Like it's it's a treat for him, especially when when Mitch Marner's up there as well. But I thought it interesting that he that Keith made that line um, on a night where he gave Mitch Marner uh, the total night off because I think if you take Marner away from Matthews and put him with Tavares, Matthews is probably like. You know, he he'll say, "Oh yeah, I'm fine playing with anyone," but it's very obvious who his preference is. But to me, Tavares benefits more from Marner than Matthews does because I think Tavares needs him more, and I think Matthews is is good enough that he can he can drive when he's with Nylander now. But I'd be shocked if if they if they did that for any long stretch in the playoffs. Have Matthews just with Bunting and Yarncroft, but we're gonna see. I mean. It, the tinkering is nonstop right now. It's he's trying every combination you can pretty much think of over the last month. Luke, do you worry that tinkering for the next what six or seven? Is it six games? The next six, six, six games. games yeah. Also getting some new bodies in the lineup. Hopefully Ryan O'Reilly soon. Hopefully Matthew Nyes as well. 
and also trying to load manage. But, you know, home ice advantage is still in your hands, but you can't really let your foot off the gas. And you play two of the biggest opponents of your season, Tampa Bay and Boston in the next. Like, there's a lot going on here in terms of what the next six games might mean. How Sheldon Keefe weighs all of those different factors into creating his lineup and making sure that, hey, the end goal is that you're ready for game one of the playoffs. Yeah, the the Boston game on Thursday and the the Tampa game next week are going to be fascinating because are these teams going to try and use this as like a a tone setter or a a dress rehearsal and dress their best lineup and try and kind of get into a playoff mode or are they going to be extra cautious and is that are those games where we don't see a, a couple superstars because they're worried that you know. Pat Maroon's going to go running around or Corey Perry's going to do something silly, right? Like, are, are you, you run that risk. So I, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see uh, how he, shall we keep the tax that in my mind, I think now that we're only six games away, you got to start, you know, pretending these are playoff games in terms of the lineup you dress, you know, maybe you can sneak in uh, one more day off for Tavares, maybe one more for Matthews. But other than that, I think you got to start getting some rhythm and end the experimentation now. I think you got to start treating this like, okay, what are we going to do if this is game one of the playoffs against Tampa and start trying to start get into a rhythm because flicking that switch will be difficult. I think on the on the D pairs, we're starting to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been less messing around with those. Like, I believe if they were to start, um, we'd see the six that, that we saw – the, over the weekend, which is Riley Shen pairing, um, the, McC- the McCabe uh, Brody pairing, which would be the shutdown pairing, and then Giordano and Hall. I, I, I think that's where Sheldon Keep is going, and, and it looks like Timothy Lilligren would be the seventh man at this point. Um, which, and, and I don't, I don't disagree. Uh, I, you know, if you asked me a month ago, I would say Lilligren had established himself as one of the Leafs six, but his play has slipped the blade and, and you can tell that the coach uh, is, doesn't trust him quite as much as he used to. Um, and I like the element Shen brings, especially against a rugged team like Tampa. So um, I think on the back end, they're starting to, we're starting to see some clarity. Obviously, Samsonov is the guy, especially with Murray down. It's just the forwards that seem to be in flux. Okay. You mentioned Matt Murray. I can't believe we waited 11 minutes, but uh What's going on? Any updates that you know of? Obviously, they had an off day, so we didn't hear anything. But after seeing Murray leave the game on the weekend, see Samsonov come back in uh, to take his place for the rest of the game, I don't know how comfortable we're feeling waiting around. Yeah, I, we're, I think we're just kind of waiting for the tweet from the Maple Leafs that say, Joseph Wall, emergency call-up. Um, I, I think that's what we're going to keep our eyes open for this morning. Uh, no official update, none expected until morning skate today. So, uh, yeah, all eyes will be on the crease to see what happens there. Uh, scary situation. Pulled off. Um, Sheldon Keefe was told it was mandatory that he get went off. He wasn't sure if that was the concussion spotter or the Leafs' own medical staff that said this is mandatory that he, he stops playing tonight. Um, but, you know, you just think about how his, his tenure with the Ottawa Senators ended with which was with a concussion that he had uh, concussions in Pittsburgh as well. And you just kind of worry for the, for the guy, right? Like this is his third injury, first head injury with the Leafs. But when you have a history of that, 
that you have to be concerned. Um, I guess if there's any silver lining is that Joseph Wall has played incredible in his brief stints with the Leafs and has been tearing up the AHL. So uh, zero playoff experience, very limited playoff experience for Samsonov, but we always knew that in net was going to be the uh, the focal point and one of the areas where the Tampa Bay Lightning would have the advantage. Yeah, as unfortunate as the situation is with Murray in terms of, you know, suffering an injury, uh, I think the goaltending competition was over before the injury happened and it will be Ilya Samsonov. So I guess it's not a complete nightmare for this team, uh, but it's definitely something to consider this offseason. Uh, when you stare into your crystal ball, how do you see this offseason? I know that. I mean, we don't even know if Kyle Dubas is going to be here, but I think they're going to want to keep Elias Samsonov, who is a restricted free agent. But how, what do you do with Murray? Like, is this, are we already at the point where we have to discuss trying to stash him and his $8 million in real dollars and his almost $5 million cap hit? Like, where do you see this storyline headed? Yeah, it, it's funny you ask, Justin, because I have a Leafs mailbag coming out this morning, and that was top question. Um, and it, it's an interesting topic because, you know, they have Samsoff's rights and Murray's still under contract next year. But Joseph Wall is reached the point where he, he's not, he can't go through um, up and down between the AHL and the NHL next year, next fall, uh, without going through waivers. And there's zero chance they're putting this kid on waivers. Like, he, for one, he's super cheap. Kyle Dubas did a great job buying low on him. He's a little bit over $700,000 cap hit for the next two years beyond this one. So a cap-type team like Toronto uh, needs all the help they can get on guys that overachieve beyond their, their cap hit, and Joseph Wall is that. And then, too, he's proven himself at the AHL level. It's time. You know, it's time. I think next year will be time for him to – to get some run and, and see if he can be an NHL backup or, or maybe take the ball and run with it at some point. It's been forever since the Leafs have had a homegrown goalie. So you're not going to carry three goalies. Um, so if Matt Murray is healthy, then you, you have yourself a situation where uh, you have Samstoff's rights. He'll, he's definitely earned a raise and you're going to have options. Do you trade Samsonov, who actually would have some, some value or, do you try and get rid of Matt Murray? And in order to trade him, you're probably going to have to, you know, give away a, a pick or trade down in the draft or something like that. Or the other alternative I looked into is the buyout. And the buyout penalty is not so bad. Um, the cap hit on the first year is under a million bucks, and the second year is two two million bucks. But the second year, you're you're expecting the cap to go up. So it wouldn't be the worst case, especially with. Wall being on such a nice price point um, to buy out Murray if, if it comes to that. Now, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We don't know how Murray is. Maybe he can bounce back. I think a lot will depend on how the playoffs shake out. Like, does Samsonov crack under the pressure? Does Murray, you know, miraculously get healthy and, and play some good goal for the Leafs? We don't know. We have to see a play out. But I would be stunned if Joseph Wall isn't one of the two goalies. Um, when the Leafs play in 23-24. Good for him. He certainly earned that opportunity. I wonder if Murray's out now um, for the length of the rest of the season. I feel bad for the Marlies because, the, you know, they, he's been a good guy down there. Now they're going to swipe him up to the big leagues and 
Marley's still have something to play for. Priorities too, but... four I know. I just, I'm just saying. The poor Marley's. Uh, all right. Uh, tonight is Pride Night at Scotiabank Arena. Maple Leafs hosting their Pride Night game. Uh, wondering if you know anything about how they're approaching tonight's game, or if we should be looking at any, you know, uh, future PR discussions here with players mm. that aren't interested in, in wearing the jersey in warmups. No, I don't have any uh, advance info about guys who are, are planning to uh, avoid celebrating Pride Night, but. Uh, what I would say is that I would expect, you know, with Kyle Dubas running the show there, I would expect there to be no surprises. I, I would be shocked if the Leafs were, were surprised. I'm sure they're all over this, but that'll be a topic, another interesting topic uh, that'll come up this morning. So no, no inside info yet, but um, I'm sure there's going to be discussion about that at the morning skate today. Yeah, this would be the highest of alert, of alert days, I think, for uh, the Maple Leafs organization. Uh, clearly, um, public relations means a lot to this team. And, of course, yeah. this issue should mean and does mean a lot to this team as far as we know. So uh, I, I, I'm sure there's not going to be any surprises tonight. I would be very surprised as well. Uh, Michael Bunting is maybe the lead topic, I would say, uh, with the Maple Leafs uh, because of his relationship with the officials, maybe his waning influence a little bit, at least in terms of how much he can go, whether uh, it's officials or opposing players into his shenanigans. Uh, it seems like he's also top of mind because our buddy Frank Cervelli had him number one <laughs> on the free agent board uh, last week. But I wonder if he's costing himself some money recently with his play. Uh, what do you make of where Michael Bunting is at, his relationship with the officials, his relationship with Kel- Sheldon Keefe, and whether or not he can stand alone as a true high, not high end, but high enough to be a sought-after free agent sort of talent in the NHL uh, now that the book is more complete on him? Oh, I think there'll be plenty of teams that will want to have Michael Bunting on, on their roster next season, the Leafs included. I, like, I, I don't see his antics with the refs hurting the fact that he's one of the few free agents that is going to be able to put up points and has proven that he can play with good players and uh, you know does a lot of good things for a hockey team. Uh, I'm not worried about him getting paid that way. I don't have him as high on my list as Frank does, but um, as far as his uh, antics with the refs, and I do think that's a concern internally. Um, if you look at last year, he was also one of the highest um, players in terms of drawing penalties, but this year he's taken so many penalties that he's only given the Leafs an advantage by, I think, a net plus two in terms of um, penalties drawn and last year it was plus 13 so one of the great things you would say is oh he gets under team skin and he puts one of the, the hockey's best power uh, power plays out there and then they can score a goal and, and what an advantage that is um, but now he's paying the price and getting in guys faces and getting angry it's all this extra energy and emotion and all it's yielded is is two extra power plays um, so that doesn't even necessarily equal one goal it's it's a lot it's a lot, right? Um, and the thing is, he's a pest, but he himself gets caught up in it. You know, like Corey Perry's a pest, but he you can tell that he's distanced himself from it, and he, he just wants to be a target for the other teams, but he himself doesn't get caught up in, and do something silly. Uh, you know, Michael Bunting has to ride a fine line here, and, and I think it's, uh, it's taken a toll on Sheldon Keith 
Uh, I think there's been a lot of conversations behind the scenes with bunting about when you need to tone it down and, and, you know, we want you engaged. We want, we like your emotion. Uh, but at the same time, if you're not getting calls, there is this threat of what if he does something silly and puts Tampa Bay's power, power play out there at an inopportune time. And we know how, how much special teams have factored into these Leafs playoff losses. And suddenly it's, it's like a series turning goal from a, a dumb penalty. That's, the, 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 the thing that's frightening, frightening the Leafs right now. So I found it really interesting that Sheldon Keefe went after the officials a little bit, stuck up for bunting after last last game on Sunday, and suggested that Kyle Dubas was going to talk to the league about maybe this guy is getting unfairly whistled. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a little scary that these conversations are happening. They're well aware, and yet, like, it's the if if he's devolving, if you want to put it that way, like we're you know he's now taking ten minute misconducts and he's kicking sticks away. Like, I, I don't know if you're if generally when you're told to do something, uh, you hope that there's a reaction, and it seems like it's going the opposite way. So uh, I def- also I also wonder like what if he does draw a penalty, but the refs don't like, even give him the benefit of the doubt, right? In a big moment like that too, where they certainly. Just- like they could go both ways. He could have a penalty that he does draw, but they don't give him the call because it's Michael Bunting. Like it could go either way, and it's it's definitely become untenable at times. <laughs> and, but when, and when do you get to the point too where it's like, oh, you can't fix this right away? Like the damage is done. I think that's definitely part of the concern here with a couple games to go and into the playoffs. And we know who the opponent will be. It will be the Tampa Bay Lightning again, and they have quietly strung off. Well, maybe not quietly. They've won three games in a row, outscoring the Hurricanes, Capitals, and Islanders, two of two of three of which are playoff teams, 14-1. to one. Uh, They are on quite the run. In your scouting of the Lightning, Luke, what are you seeing? Well, I'm seeing Andre Vasilevsky getting named first star of the week. That's, that's the scariest thing. Because I, I think the forwards, I think the Leafs can hang. And I actually think with the moves Kyle Dubas made at the deadline, I actually like the depth of the, the Leafs blue line more than Tampa Bay's. Uh, you know, you don't have the, the bonafide number one uh, like Victor Hedman. But by committee, I and, and through, you know, one through seven, say, I like the Leafs' decor better than Tampa's. And, you know, that's, this is the first time I've felt comfortable saying that. Uh, I think Ryan McDonough is a massive hole that they haven't been able to, to cover up. You know, they got young guys like like a Nick Perbix. Um, you got Sergeyev taking on more minutes, and he's definitely decent. But I, I think the Lightning's blue line is, isn't uh, as deep as, as Toronto's. And I think Toronto's forwards are more in their prime. I think Tampa's a little bit more tired. I think there's two areas that Leaf fans should be concerned about. That's in the net, and it's behind the bench. Uh, I I honestly think Sheldon Keefe has done a fantastic job in the regular season. I think he's having a great year. He's, you know, kept this team on task. They, not since October have they gone through a lull where they've lost three in a row. Uh, you know, they bounce back well when they have their bad nights. But he's been outcoached in every playoff series he's had. And John Cooper is excellent. And uh, I think the, the matchup game is going to play an important role in this series. And I think goaltending and I think special teams and those are the areas that I think Toronto should be a little bit concerned about. But on paper, they have a team that can that can beat them. It's just I think a lot of it's going to be mental as well. 
Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of it is going to be mental. You're right. But, uh, you know, the defensive depth, one Luke Shen transferring from one team to the next. Maybe that's the difference for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Either way, it's going to be unbelievably exciting and filled with storylines. And we will catch up with you before the playoffs for sure uh, to tee up the Lightning and Leafs proper. Thanks, Luke, for joining us this morning. And uh, yeah, we'll chat soon. All right. Enjoy the Blue Jackets game. Oh, we plan to. <laughs> we plan to. That's Luke Fox, <laughs> NHL reporter at Sportsnet. Uh, and one of our favorites. Enjoy the Blue Jackets game. Blue Jackets, uh, you know, I'm tracking the Bedard sweepstakes, of course. They got they're themselves a win the other day. Pretty, I don't know what they're doing. Honestly, how do you, if you're in that room and you want to play for something, but you also know that you have Connor Bedard looming in the distance. I mean, come on. If you're, I mean, you haven't been in this situation, I don't think, but you're not thinking about that, are you? What, if you're the player? If you're Johnny Gaudreau, are you thinking about I, getting Connor Bedard? I don't think so. But I don't think Johnny Gaudreau is thinking about anything, to be honest. We're going to talk to Rick Nash Nash about that at 8 o'clock. What's Johnny Gaudreau thinking about right now? Maybe he knows. Uh, It's time for some chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Let's keep going with our wrap-up of the NCAA basketball season. Here are some great, great numbers in happy, happy women's sports talk for you. LSU's win over Iowa on Sunday was the most viewed NCAA women's basketball game on record with 9.9 million viewers, 9.9 million viewers. Mm -hmm. The total audience is a 103% increase over last year. Wow. Um, That's a lot. The audience peaked at 12.6 million. It's also the first women's national game to air on network television since 1995. So, hey, if you put women's sports on TV... Just just crazy idea. Looks like people might want to watch. The 9.9 million viewers on Sunday are more than any women's college game ever, any MLS game ever, any Stanley Cup game since 1973, the 2021 NBA Finals, the 2020 World Series, the 2023 Orange Bowl, and the final se- the fi- finale of The Last of Us, which I haven't got to yet. I'm watching The Last of Us. Really? Last of Us? So I'm just saying. How it looks about, like if you NHL put women's rate? sports on TV, something good could happen. Def- That's all. Definitely, definitely, definitely. How about the ratings, though, for the NHL in 1973? Yep. Every every yeah. household watching the Stanley Cup I got to Who was 1973 wow. uh, Stanley Cup final? Who do you think it is? I will guess Quickly. Montreal. It was uh, the Blackhawks and the Canadians, yeah. Who won? A rematch of the 1971. Uh, I'm going to say the, the Canadians won. I'm just guessing. Yes. There you go. I got it right then. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yes. It was It was worthy of that, though. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was superstars, maybe a super team, coaches that were interesting in their own right. A lot went into that, and it deserved that number. I really hope, because Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark can come back next year, that, you know, maybe they're putting the same... Uh, section of the bracket, same region, maybe make, make things a, a little bit more possible for them to meet again, because that's sort of, that's what you need to build, right? Rivalry, sports, hate, all that stuff. All that stuff is really, really positive. I mean, you can build Isn't on that. Paige Becker's back build on rivalries. Too? I'm not sure. Is, is, she, is she going she, to the WNBA? Maybe. No, no, or I think she, she's That might back. be 2024. I think she's, get, she's she'll be either, back for UConn. Either way, there are big, big, big names. Capitalize on those big names. Make sure they play each other. Will help a little bit. But yes, if you can build up those names and personalities, uh, that's the way. And and you don't even need it because clearly there are big numbers already. But that's the way you can grow and grow and grow and get another hundred three percent increase. 
Is there even that many people left? I don't know. 1973 uh, Hawks and, and Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> I don't think they could have grown 103%, but uh, we can. We yeah, can I think it can happen. We can I think it. it can happen. Uh, well, lots of women's sports to come because the World Championships kick off Canada and Switzerland tomorrow. I'll be excited to get you some of that content. I'm going to try to go to as many games as possible with the women's worlds just in Brampton. But uh, yeah, Canada and Switzerland starts their tournament tomorrow and they've got a couple more this weekend. So lots to look forward to. We're going to talk to Shai Davidi on the other side of the break. Uh, let's break down that Jose Barrios start. <clears throat> Is it real? Are we okay to feel the way we feel this morning? We're also going to give away Blue Jays tickets after we talk to Shai. So stay tuned. That's next on the Fan Morning Show. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Playing us into the biggest start of the Blue Jays season is, this is Kikuchi's walk-up song from last year. It's It's a nice song, eh? I'm trying to look it up because we got to tell our podcast listeners what it is. Isn't it fun? I've, I think it's fun. I can't. We are young by fun. There you go. It's got good vibes. That's how we got to feel going into tonight, Justin. Because... I mean, it, it didn't work for our guy last year, but renewed focus, renewed hey, energy. Think, hey, do you think, it, yeah, you change it, right? Like coming into this year? Yeah. If you I had think, a tough, I think probably, tough go? I think I probably would. Well, I don't know, maybe he really, really loves this song, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect him at all. Chai Davidi, MLB columnist and insider to Sportsnet. What would be your your song if you were coming up to the mound and you got a big night ahead of you, like Kikuchi? You got a song that just resonates with you? Oof. Uh, I've got a, a few. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it'd go to, like, Bugging Out by Tribe Called Quest or something like Whoa, that. All right. Old school. Okay. We there need, you go. We need, we need Deadline that. fast approaching and uh, Tribe Calls Quest gets uh, Shy Davidi over the line. Well, that's it. Just, you know, a little, a little just, uh, you know, mental state energy, I guess. Okay. Well, it's, we got to be dialed in. Um, and I like that song. We, we, should, we should pick ours, Justin, um, for our intros at the six o'clock hour. But, okay, let's talk <laughs> Jose Barrio, Shy, because uh, how are we supposed to feel this morning? Was that the first real real tangible start to looking at maybe a Jose Barrios that didn't change too much this off season. So it's a weird outing. And to me, it's almost like he had a microcosm of his season last mm-hmm. year in one start. Right. Oof. Cause it's got like the rough patch where you're like, what the hell's going on here? And then he's got, parts of that where it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's the guy we, we all know. Um, I, I think at the end, and this is, this is real kind of, uh, you know, silver lining it, and I don't want to do that, but I think there's something to him being able to get into the sixth inning in an outing like that, where last year, you know, he was, if he was blowing up, he was blowing up through three. Right. And that, that's not what you're looking for, but, Maybe that's a mild indicator of some progress that it's there. He just has to lock it in more consistently. But, you know, there are a few things that are, are still remain flags. The fact that, 
left-handed hitters seem to be seeing fastball reasonably well. A lot of a lot of misses in the middle of the plate. You know, there were a few times, you know, a couple of the balls that Bobby Witt Jr. put into play, you know, those are pitches off the plate that he's swinging at balls, but he's still doing damage on them where you're kind of like, okay, that's just a good hitter doing good hitter things. But it's it's not a total train wreck from a process evaluation, but the line is the line, and Blue Jays just need more from him, quite frankly. Yeah, I think you nailed it. If I'm clinging to something in terms of positives, it's that fifth inning, which was very, very good. And I love that he was given that opportunity. I love that he was given the opportunity to go back in the sixth. I actually kind of wanted to see if he can get through the sixth inning because, you know, you got to kind of like balance how much leash you're giving to a pitcher, especially one that is imploding. But I feel like it's on him to throw pitches like he needs to throw. He needs to figure this out. I mean, when you're rushing back and forth between the iPad, between innings, like you're clearly working on something. And maybe that should have been reserved for spring training, which it was. And maybe it shouldn't be reserved for MLB games where you're trying to win them. And while the Yankees and Rays are already got a head start uh, in terms of the division race, I just feel like. Jose Barrios needs to pitch. And if he can pitch into the fifth and sixth inning and not be done before getting through three, it's at least a positive because he's working towards something. Do you see it the same way? Yeah, similarly. And, you know, part of it is the Blue Jays only got three and a third from Chris Bassett on Sunday. And you can't be certain that you're going to get a bunch of innings from UC Kikuchi tonight. So you're like, okay, you got to go and and suck up some innings for us. There's certainly that piece of it. But it is also just keep on locking this stuff down. And if you just look at the raw stuff, like it's good. It's still good. But there are a couple breaking balls that weren't as sharp as they needed to be. And just the, the the issue, the main issue that was the case for him last year was just like fastballs left in sort of the middle part of the zone and into the happy part, happy parts uh, of of the plate. And you know the Royals didn't miss him as well they shouldn't. And he he's got to figure out what is causing him to have those misses because that is atypical from where he's been earlier in the career. And if you just look at just from a Again, strictly from a stuff standpoint, it's a, it's, the fastball is kind of in line with where it's been over the course of his career. In fact, fastball from velocity standpoint might have been even better uh, than it was at points last year, uh, last night. So it's in there. It's just how are you going to put all the pieces together? And that that's still the moving target. And it looked like at times this spring that he'd figured it all out and it was all there for him. And you know, the first time out in the regular season, it didn't come together. Okay, so it's early, 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 early. Very, very early. And there's a lot of time to work through the iPad, work through the mound, uh, the bullpen sessions, and work through his in-game approach. But if this is Jose Barrios now, if this is it, if this is who the guy is now, where he can't touch the corners with regularity, he's fastball vulnerable to lefties, if he cannot get outs at the major league level, he's locked up through 2028, like what... What could you even, what could you do? Like what, what would be the recourse if he is, if you just can't put him out on the mound anymore? I think that 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 conversation is just way, way premature. I mean, like even last year, we should remember that he had like uh, of his, uh, of the starts, it was, I think eight that were, you know, six runs or five runs or more. And then 18 that were three runs or less. 
it, or the numbers are, are pretty similar in that in that ratio. If that's not exactly it, you know, it's it, it's not like this guy's completely fallen off a cliff. And it, I think the issue is that he's just not as consistent as he used to be. And why is that? And and there are some clear reasons for that. It, it, they worked on a couple of mechanical issues to try to identify that. I, that track record, I'm still betting on that track record. I don't think he's just turned into a pumpkin overnight. Uh, and I, I just, I mean, the, the, by virtue of the contract, there's just going to be a lot more runway for that, uh, for, the, for the Blue Jays with that. So I, I just think that that conversation is a little bit premature and that there's just as good a chance that, you know, after his next turn that we're having a conversation about, you know, how, how did Barrios get himself right and what's rolling uh, or how is he going to be able to, to maintain that going forward? I certainly hope that's the next step is uh, consistency. I think maybe we're feeling a little bit anxious about the start just because most of the starting pitchers didn't have their debut that maybe we had wanted. Um, I wonder how much you're seeing pitch calm being an issue with some of the starters. I know Manoa was kind of playing around with it. Obviously, we saw Chris Bassett, who has like 45 different pitches working through that. Um, I wonder if that's something that they can address, should have been addressed in spring training or just uh, growing pains that we're going to see for the next little while. Well, I mean, they, these things were addressed. I mean, they they were practicing with uh, the, the two-way pitch comp during spring training and, and all that stuff. Uh, I do think there there is a new pitch clock, and maybe there's some adjustment, uh, especially for guys who have been around uh, and, and are well-established in, the, in their careers and maybe didn't come up through the minor leagues when some of the, the current rules were in place at AAA. And so it's a bit, if you're a veteran guy, it's, a bit more of uh, an adjustment from your usual process. I don't think that's an excuse that anybody wants to lean on. I just think, you know, say for Kevin Gossman and, and Jordan Romano, every Blue Jays pitcher has gotten hit since the season started. So is it, is it some game planning? Is it uh, just bad days? Uh, is it anything along those lines? You know, that would be an area I'd be tending to look at knowing the Blue Jays, they're looking at every different area, every different avenue right now. But it's, again, Gosman and and Romano for that one inning aside, I mean, every Blue Jays pitcher has taken some damage so far this season. You know, that's obviously not going to last, but it's certainly a contributing factor to why the Blue Jays are are one and three to start the season. Tonight we'll find out if you say Kikuchi can join Kevin Gosman and Jordan Romano in the uh, the better category or the preferred category uh, of pitchers so far. Um, it was obviously a very, very good spring for him, as encouraging a storyline as there was for the Blue Jays during spring training. Uh, in your experience with him, in your conversations with him, what you witnessed at spring training, what is different about this player now? Well, I... There are a few things. He's one of the, the first people to put his hands up and say the pitch clock is good for me because he was a, a slow and deliberate worker. He'd get into his own head. He'd be thinking about things, and that usually was problematic. Now he, he gets the ball, locks in, has to make the next pitch. There's no time to dilly-dally, and that has you know, maybe shut off uh, the parts of his brain that maybe created some doubt or uh, at minimum – limited the the conviction of what he was throwing so so that 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 was a good building block and then there were some mechanical things he's 
shortened up his arm angle a little bit. Uh, his feels his delivery is a little bit more repeatable. Uh, he's been uh, working on uh, a curveball a little bit to integrate that. Uh, just uh, adapted his slider a little bit. He's got the split change, but he's just in the zone more consistently. You know, I think that that is the piece that has really been lacking for him. It's never been a stuff thing for him. Uh, there, there have been a lot of different theories. Oh, you should throw this in combination with that. And, you know, slider is slower, slider is harder. And he just seems to have a good mix right now. He seems to be confident in it. But, you know, just like Barrios, and, you know, until you do it in the regular season, a good spring training is great, but it has to matter in when it actually counts. Gachai Davidi, MLB columnist and insider at Sportsnet on with us this morning. Um, how do you think the cleanup spot is going to be uh, utilized right now? I think obviously we've seen a couple different options, but Varsho and Kirk being you know, in and out at that spot. Where do you think that they're going to land here down the stretch? Yeah, it's that, that's a, a really interesting one because it... <laughs> You know, that's the one spot where you can really potentially end up missing Teoscar Hernandez and that, and that power threat behind behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And you saw it yesterday with the bases loaded when Guerrero was very clearly not going to get anything re- resembling a strike to hit. Uh, and he ended up taking a, taking a walk there with the bases loaded. And you've got to have a, a real power threat behind him to make sure that doesn't happen 130 times this year. So Varsho seems to be the guy, the, the, the first choice for it. In an ideal world to me, you know, I'd like Brandon Belt in that spot. If, if Brandon Belt can, can start doing some damage again and look like the 2020-2021 guy, it just seems like that is the, the ideal fit because there's a bit more OBP in there than uh, at least there's been from, um, thus far from Dalton Varsho in his career. And there's that experience. You just need a, a real a real threat behind him. And you know, I'd expect to see Kirk there against left-handed pitchers, uh, at least for the time being. Maybe, maybe Matt Chapman moves up into that spot on occasion, but Alejandro Kirk finished the season in, in that role, and I wouldn't be surprised if that continues. Uh, so it's, it's still a bit of a moving target to me, uh, and you know, again, and maybe Varsho just gets going, and then and ends the discussion. So I, I don't think that's settled a lot at all. I think it's got lots of room to evolve over the course of the season, and obviously the Blue Jays will be hoping that it evolves for, towards the better. It is a little funny that the uh, Blue Jays seem to be lacking a righty power bat all of a sudden. Uh, but Matt Chapman maybe could be that guy, and maybe could move up the lineup just a little bit uh, if anyone's modifications or adjustments have paid dividends. It seems Matt Chapman's at the plates or at the plate rather has uh, what do you make of his start, the changes he's made and, and how it's produced result. A couple more doubles last night, one that should have probably scored a run in Alejandro Kirk, but had to settle for uh, had to settle for just a base hit in that regard. But it seems like if we're looking at circling positives in terms of uh, plate approaches and uh, up and down the batting order right now, Matt Chapman certainly stands out. Yeah, he's been great. And he looked at his year last year and he thought to himself and, and rightly so just said, you know, I'm better than this. And it was a nice offensive season, but there were points in time where he was, had a lot of hard contact. He wasn't getting anything from it. And he just 
feels like he got away from an approach that he'd had in the past in his career where he was a better able to to use the field entire field and got a bit pull happy last year so so he made a few adjustments working towards that and part of it is mindset part of it is is physical uh, he he's not like kicking anymore it's just uh, you know a bit more of a uh, a quicker move to get his foot down his front foot down and uh, at least early on, it looks like it's uh, it, it's it's working for him. So uh, he, he's definitely taking advantage of uh, of the new rules as well, and not fi- finding some holes that maybe didn't exist there in the past. Uh, but he's been hitting the ball with authority, which is what you want to see from him. It took 138 plate appearances, but uh, I guess better late than never when it comes to the home run hitting for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, in terms of you know, you're grasping at straws a little bit. You're trying to find silver linings from last night because it was not a masterpiece by any means. But does that home run lift some weight off the shoulders of the lineup? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's a lot of guys who are like, why don't I have a homer yet? Uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, that that one collectively limiting or lifting, uh, you know, the, the weight. But it's it's been a weird start, right? Like all across the board, it's just, doesn't seem like this is that there's much that's typical of this club you know I I thought the opening day game they seem to have really been on it and locked in and you know it was they jumped a good pitcher in Miles Mikolas they put together some good rallies against some really tough leverage relievers and then that just hasn't been the same. And then they hit some balls hard against Flaherty and Montgomery. You had nothing to show for it, but you know, the fact that there, there wasn't any home runs there, that was a real difference in the series with the Cardinals. You know, the Cardinals were able to hit homers and Jays weren't and uh, that would, that provided the difference. You know, the, the Jays have a more diverse offense, uh, but they still need to hit homers. They still should hit homers. I fully expect that they will. So, you know, just uh, all across the board, kind of an odd four games so far where, you know, save for Gosman, you know, nothing's really gone quite the way you would have expected it. Last one for you this morning, Shai. Um, starting 10 games on the road, I wonder if there's a way that that either affects your clubhouse mm-hmm. positively, like you're getting, you know, a long time together for some faces, some chemistry, the new guys to get acclimated. Or do you think you get itching to get back at home, get in your new routine, um, you know, get to the Rogers Center, which is going to have the big ribbon cutting soon? A little bit of both, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's always what you make of it. And it, uh, 10 games at the start of the season on the road is – uh, can be a challenge and if you kind of lock in on how hard it is and that it's difficult to be away and all that stuff well that only makes it more burdensome whereas you know you look at it as all right this is what it is we'll move forward and we're going to just uh, be able to bank a bunch more home games after this uh, for the rest of the season then you know maybe you turn it into something that's for, for your advantage I do think there's a fair bit of anticipation about what the dome is going to look like and how it's going to play that guys really want to get out there and just test it out uh, because it's going to be, especially from the, the outfield walls are going to be vastly different than they have been. And it's going to change the dynamic of playing there. So that curiosity element is certainly there, but for, for the most part, Guys tend to be the schedule. The schedule. We'll we'll play it as it comes, and we'll deal with it. Uh, you know, some stretches are more difficult than others. This is certainly the case for one of them. But you know, 
it really is what you make of it. Well, hopefully we get to see you on Thursday when we go check out the Rogers Center. Um, we get to go in there and see the big ribbon cutting and all the new spots. I assume you'll be there, right? Yes, uh, I'm back home for this series and uh, back out to Anaheim afterwards. So uh, very excited to to see the finished product. Us too. We'll see you there then, Shai. I appreciate you joining us this morning and uh, we'll chat soon. Yeah, have a great day, guys. Shai Davidi, MLB columnist and insider at Sportsnet. Big day Thursday. Be there in person. I wonder if Shai will go with the poutine hot dog. I think we're trying every single thing on the menu. I'm not eating the day before. <laughs> Load up on Rogers <laughs> Center ballpark food. All right. Um, and we can do that for you as well. Because, as we mentioned, we've got a contest giving away a four-pack of tickets to the Blue Jays-Tigers game next Thursday at the New Look Rogers Center, along with an awesome Jays merch prize pack. Okay. All you got to do is tune in every day this week on the Fan Morning Show and listen for our daily code word. Today's code word is SPRINGER. Text SPRINGER to 59590 for your chance to win. We'll be giving away another four-pack of tickets and merch tomorrow. So be sure to tune in then. That's next Thursday's game. Blue Jays, Tigers, brand new Rogers Center merch prize pack. You could be there with the code word Springer. I love it. This is awesome. We're giving away Jays tickets every day. We should be. Nothing feels better. <laughs> uh, all right. Blue Jays back in action tonight, uh, continuing their four-game series against Kansas City. 7.40 p.m. is first pitch. On Sportsnet, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and streaming on sportsnet.ca slash 590 and the Sportsnet app. Yusei Kikuchi making his regular season debut. A lot of eyes on that as our MVP of the Grapefruit League looks to continue that into the regular season. You can send in your wake and rake picks from that game, from the Maple Leafs and the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Toronto Raptors and the Charlotte Hornets, anything you want. That will be at 8.30. But we've got Rick Nash on the other side of the break, a former NHL forward, of course, Olympic gold medalist. He's currently working as a director of player development with the said Columbus Blue Jackets. Let's tee up tonight's battle on the other side of the break.